Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you have given us. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that we can come here and worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we just lift up this time, that it would be a time of heart searching, that we would humble ourselves before the Lord, that we would come before God, our creator, and know who he is, and we would turn to him from our wickedness. God, I want to lift up First Baptist Church of Sierra Vista, that as they meet, that they would proclaim your name, uh, they would proclaim the gospel to those in attendance, but also to their community, uh, as well as to the world. Father, we lift up Pastor Jesse as he brings the word. Uh, pray for him as he seeks to honor you and all that he does. Also, Father, I lift up Summit Baptist of Wachuca City. And Pastor uh, David is, is still ill with his foot surgery, and I pray for a recovery for him. So God, we pray for our churches and our community that they would proclaim the gospel here in Sierra Vista into the world. Father, be with us as we focus our eyes on our Creator God, the one who is and is to come, um, His Son, Jesus Christ. Be with us and guide us in all these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2. So I made a mistake this week, and I'm going to go ahead and just publicly proclaim it. I got so wrapped up in the passage that I missed the point. I got so excited about the details that I missed the big picture. So your outline in your handout is going to be a little wrong. It's not wrong exegetically, but it's wrong homiletically, which means it's not wrong because I did not do my homework. It's wrong because I'm not proclaiming what the passage wants me to proclaim. And this came about on Saturday morning. So I was able to get the slides fixed, but I was not able to get the uh, bulletin fixed because it was already there. So you are going to see some changes. Mainly the, the, the title of each point will change. And the, the title of this sermon is The Humbling God, because I was humbled. He humbled me uh, greatly because I thought I had something ready to go. Saturday morning I woke up. So what I normally do is Friday night, uh, Thursday night, and Saturday night I pray over my sermon points before I go to sleep. Uh, I just try to go over them in my head so that I can come up here and preach it to you. Um, I, I cover it with prayer. And I woke up Saturday morning with a different outline. I was laying there, kind of waking up, and began to pray, and the outline became different. And I was like, okay, what is this about God? So I, I got my stuff together. My wife will attest. I said, um, I think I need to change my sermon this morning. And she's like, well, I had plans to do all this. I'm like, okay, you do your thing. I'll do my thing, and we'll, we'll meet together at the end, right? So I, I began to open up the passage, and I began to study this passage, and I realized I made a mistake. This passage has some very interesting things. It talks about the last days. And that's very fascinating. In fact, it's so fascinating, I went back and I reread Matthew, Mark, and Luke this week. And I highlighted everywhere in it that it talked about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And I got real deep into what it means, this kingdom, this coming kingdom. Um, is it here? Is it already? Is it not yet? What does that mean? Is it, is it going to be a thousand-year millennial reign? What is that going to look like? I, I just went, I went crazy, okay? I went into it. I got deep. 
But I missed the point. The point is not so much about the future as much as why God is presenting the future here and what that means for us. Ultimately, God is a humbling God. So the first point you're going to notice is that God designs. He designs the, the last days as He designs the first days. He is a designing God. Our God designs. And as we, we, we study this, we've already gone through chapter 1, and we took a long time, because chapter 1 is an introduction to the rest of, the, of, the, of Isaiah. The last 60, or the full 66 chapters, the first one is a introduction. So it gets all the themes in there. So chapter 2 is really the start of the sermon proper. The first main message. And it goes all the way to chapter 6. Chapter 6, Isaiah gets his calling from the Lord. And this is a powerful image of him seeing the Lord. And what does he do? He hits his face. He sees the Lord. He doesn't, he doesn't go up there and say, God, I have some bones to pick to you. Why are you, why are you breaking Israel apart? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing... No, he goes, boom, straight to the ground. And he says, I am a woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And not only that, I live in a generation of unclean lips. I am unclean. I am not worthy. And so that image of God, that calling for him, led his, his worship, led the rest of these passages... Um, flowing downhill. So as we are approaching uphill to chapter 6, we recognize that this is in Isaiah's mind. He's got called in chapter 6, but this is written, I believe, after he got called. And so just keep that in mind as you approach this passage. So the first thing we see is the vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, in the mountain of the Lord's house, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will not and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his path for instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will settle disputes among the nations and will provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation, and they will never again train for war. House of Jacob, come and let's walk in the Lord's light. For you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of divination from the east and of fortune tellers, like the Philistines. They are in league with foreigners. Their land is full of silver and gold, and there is no limit to their treasures. Their land is full of horses, and there is no limit to their chariots. Their land is full of worthless idols. They worship the work of their hands, what their fingers have made, so humanity is brought low, and each person is humbled. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from His majestic splendor. The pride of mankind will be humbled and human loftiness will be brought low on the Lord. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. For a day belonging to the Lord of armies is coming against all that is proud and lofty, 
Against all that is lifted up, it will be humbled. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up. Against all the oaks of Bashan. Against all the high mountains. Against all the lofty hills. Against every high tower. Against every fortified wall. Against every ship of Tarshish. And against every splendid sea vessel. The pride of mankind will be brought low. And human loftiness will be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. The worthless idols will vanish completely. People will go into the caves and the rocks and the holes in the ground away from the terror of the Lord and from His majestic splendor when He rises to terrify the earth. On that day, people will throw their worthless idols of silver and gold, which they made to worship to the moles and the bats. They will go into the caves of the rocks and the crevices in the cliffs away from the terror of the Lord and from His majestic splendor when He rises to terrify the earth. Put no more trust in a mere human who has only the breath in his nostrils. What is he really worth? This is a powerful chapter, is it not? Do you feel God's presence in that passage? This is God. He is warning them, and He is warning them of what's about to happen. And so we have here that God designs the future. So, in chapter two, chapter two of verse, in verse two, it says, "In the last days," and man, I got stuck. I got stuck on the last days for just a little bit this week. I got wrapped up. But what I missed is the grammar, the Hebrew grammar here. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established. Sounds very similar to Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the last days. In the beginning, in the last days. Isaiah here is pointing to the fact that God is the designer of everything. He plans the past and the future. He knows everything that has happened and will happen. And so, instead of getting wrapped up in what's going to happen, I'm getting wrapped up in who God is. He's the one who designed this. And so, as we recognize that our God designs, then we can begin to understand what is happening here. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. This is obviously talking about the Temple Mount. If you were a uh, person from Jerusalem, you would know that this is talking about the house of the Lord, the Temple. And the Temple is going to be raised up above everything else. And we know that the mountain that the temple is on, the hill, is really not a very significant hill. If you go to Jerusalem, there are higher mountains and hills around there. This is not the most majestic hill to place something on. But what we see here is that it will be raised up. It will have prominence among everything else. In fact, it goes on to say in verse 3, and many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. So not only does God design the end times, the last days, he designs a plan of salvation for the nations. He is going to save people. The nations will stream to it. So not only is this, this temple going to be raised up to be looked at, it's going to be raised above all the hills, it's going to have the most prominence in the world, it's going to have a purpose. Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Right now, this, this time in Jerusalem, no one is, is worshiping the Lord outside of Judah. 
This is a time in Israel's history where the nations are deceived. They are not interested in this God, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham. They are not interested. And so there will come a time, is what Isaiah is saying, when the nations will have their eyes opened up and they will flock to the Lord, to the God, to the house of the God of Jacob. And then it goes on and says, He will teach us ways, teach us about His ways, so that we may walk in His paths. For instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. What is going on here? Well, people are going to take the word of the Lord and make it theirs. They are going to come to God and begin to understand what He has instructed. People will be fed by God's revelation versus the world's revelation. So God has designed a way. And He says He will settle disputes among the nations. This instruction, this, this word from the Lord is going to cause people to beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. They will seek peace. They will not rise up against each other with sword against sword and nation against nation. They're never going to train again for war. What's interesting about this passage is how often it is repeated in the rest of Isaiah. Isaiah 57 talks a lot about this, and we will get to that um, further down as we continue to study. But also, it's mentioned in John 12. John 12. And I'm going to read it to you. You don't have to turn there, but John 12, 31. Jesus hears from the Father in this passage. He's beginning to talk about His crucifixion. Jesus responded and said, This voice came not for me, but for you. Verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me... I am lifted up from the earth. I will draw all people to myself. So Jesus is, is claiming that he is going to be lifted up, as we saw in the crucifixion. In fact, he continues, he says, he said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Now the people of Israel began to question this. They said, that, whoa, 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 Jesus, that's not what we've been taught. Look at, we, we know from the law something. Look at verse 34. He, the crowd replied to him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. Jesus, where are you going? We know you're supposed to stay here forever. You're supposed to be the Messiah. So then, so how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They begin to question who he is. Verse 35, Jesus answered, The light will walk with you only a little longer. Walk while you are in the light, so that the darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of the light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. And then in verse 37, it says, Isaiah's prophecies are fulfilled. And we start to get more verses from Isaiah. In fact, it says, The Lord who has, belie Lord who has believed our message and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And this is why they were unable to believe, because Isaiah said, they're mine, they're blind. He has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and would turn. And then verse 41 is the kicker for me. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. 
Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus Christ. In fact, you see this over and over in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is constantly pointing to Jesus. Over and over again, Isaiah is predicting this coming Messiah. And the Jews missed it in this instance. In fact, we see verse 5, House of Jacob, come and let's walk in the Lord's light. Once again, the light. Jesus is the light. And so God has, through Isaiah, began to expose our false idols, our false hopes. Our God exposes the false is our second point. Our God exposes the false. So what we saw is that God designs. He designs the last day. He designs the first day. God has a plan. He has a plan from the beginning of time to bring a people to Himself, to bring the nations to Him, to to, uh, worship Him. And then verse 6, For you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob. And now we understand why the people of Israel were going to be punished or disciplined, if we like to use a a nicer word. It says, because they are full of divination from the east. God begins to expose their false hopes. He says, the reason why you're about to suffer is because you have false hopes. You have not humbled yourself before God. You have gotten prideful. And so what have they done? They are full. Note this word full in your Bibles. They are full of divination from the east, or they are filled with divination from the east, which means that they are seeking knowledge from something other than God. They are pursuing wisdom outside of God's wisdom. They are looking for hope and happiness and pleasure from something other than what God says. What is a good life? What makes me happy? Well, you could pursue drugs. You could pursue alcohol. You could pursue women. You could pursue money. You could pursue comfort. In our therapeutic age, the absence of suffering is what we want. But that's not what the Scriptures say. We need to be full of the wisdom of the Lord, not full of divination from the East. How many of you think that divination from the East is not a big thing in our society? Every newspaper has a horoscope that tells you what your sign is and then what you should expect for the day, who you should marry, and um, divination from the East, worshiping of false gods. Even our beloved Pokemon are little gods from Japan. So just be aware of that. I know. My kids love Pokemon. But they're not seeking them for wisdom. So let's just go ahead and put that out there. Because they are full of divination from the East, and of fortune tellers like the Philistines. So their enemies, the Philistines, use fortune tellers. They are pursuing the the, the knowledge of the future. And then God just explained to them what their future is going to look like in this passage. And in every other prophetic passage, God tells them the truth of what is going to happen. But they want something else. They want the Philistines' wisdom. They want fortune tellers and truth tellers and soothsayers. They are in league with foreigners. Not only that, but they have yoked themselves with unbelievers. They are pursuing a life that is with unbelievers. They have made treaties with people that they shouldn't. In fact, he goes on. 
And this is where it gets confusing. Their land is full of silver and gold. Be like, oh, that's, what, that's good. That means we're rich. We can bless other people the richer we are. And there's no limit to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. Man, that's great. There's no limit. Because agriculture, we need horses to pull our, um, pull our tools for digging up the ground. Not only that, they need them for chariots for war. Their land is full of chariots. Man, this looks like a successful nation, doesn't it? Sounds kind of like America with our strong military and our economic power and our great intelligence networks and all of our wisdom. But then God begins to expose the false idols that we have. He begins to pull back the layers that have covered it up. He says their land is full of worthless idols. All that other junk is nothing because their land is full of worship, worthless idols. They worship the work of their hands. How foolish are we who worship the work of our own hands? What their fingers have made. He begins to point them to reality. Verse 9 then begins to open this up. So humanity is brought low and each person is humbled. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from His majestic splendor. When we create idols of comfort, of security, of safety, we have nothing but to expect them to be destroyed. They will fail you. In fact, you may be experiencing that right now. You may have put your trust in your ability to be healthy. You may have put your trust in your own knowledge and reasoning. You may have put your trust in a person. You may have put your trust in your ability to make money or not make money. How many people have lost jobs over this last year? How many people have gotten sick over this last year? How many people have had their idols of comfort stripped away and have exposed them? And what happens when we are exposed? Typically, we run and hide. And if we are not right with God, our default response is to run away, to run away from the Lord. So unless we humble ourselves, nakedness and all, and come before God and hit our, our faces to the ground and ask for mercy, we're going to have our idols exposed. Because there's a day that is coming, a day that is coming that will bring humiliation for everyone. Verse 12 says, For a day belonging to the Lord of armies is coming. The truth of the matter is, our God humbles. Our God humbles. He is a humbling God. The more I learn about God, the more I realize how miserable of a person I am. The more I study the attributes and characteristics of God, the more I realize how great a Savior I need. And you should too. If you are in this room and you are a Christian and you are full of pride, do you really know God? I'm going to tell you, this passage changed my life this week as I was studying it. And I became humbled. And I recognized, guess what? I'm not all that in a bag of potato chips. 
It doesn't matter who I am. It is all about God. The day of the Lord will humble you. Verse 12 says, For a day belonging to the Lord of armies. Remember, this, this language of armies means that God is in control. It's a, a, a majestic term, a term that He has power over everything. And then we have a bunch of againsts. Againsts. That doesn't say well over the microphone, but against all. Against all is a repetition from 12 through 16. It says, Against all that is proud and lofty. God crushes the proud. God will crush the proud. Against all that is lifted up, God will drop it low. It will be humbled. Against all the cedars of Lebanon. Now remember, in those days, Lebanon was known for its cedars. It had big, giant trees. And those trees would be chopped down and shipped all around the known world because people valued these giant trees for pillars and for art and for everything else. And, and they were known to have a powerful um, um, economic system. He says that's going to be destroyed against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan. The oaks of Bashan were known for a place of worship. People would come and worship in these oaks because supposedly that would bring them closer to a God. Against all the high mountains. The high mountains, remember we talked about this a little bit, but the mountains that people were going up to and worshiping God because they had in their mind the higher they could get, the closer they could get to a God of some kind. And that God would listen to them if they were higher up on a mountain. And they would build temples and they would build um, altars and they would worship there. And this false worship is what was surrounding the people of Judah. In fact, they were beginning to do this worship themselves. Against all the lofty hills, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, man, even their, their protections. They had been, if you read 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, over and over again, when a new king comes along and he humbles himself before God and he decides to follow the law of the Lord, God gives them the opportunity to build walls around some of the cities in Jerusalem and Judea and that area. And what we see is there's a constant building up of fortifications because the Egyptians will be coming through and they're going somewhere and they want to just clean out this area because this is the highway of the nations. Israel is the area that you would go through to get to Babylon. Israel is the area you would go through to get to Egypt. And so these two great nations that come up in Babylon and Egypt are always at war. And so guess where the middle is? Israel. And so they build fortifications to make it harder. But even their fortifications are going to be coming down. In fact, every against every ship of Tarshish and against every splendid sea vessel, even the navies of the Athenians will not protect them. Nothing is going to protect people from God. Everything that we put our hope in, everything that we have idols on is going to be destroyed. Your health, your fitness, your uh, wisdom, your ability to, to have a conversation, everything will be brought low. Verse 17 repeats verse 11. It says, the pride of mankind will be brought low and human loftiness will be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. The worthless idols will vanish completely. 
So the results of this humbling, the day of the Lord humbles, and then we have the results. 18 forward. 19 says, People will go into the caves and the rocks sound away from the terror of the Lord and from His majestic splendor when He rises to terrify the earth. When God returns, when Christ comes in His glory to judge the living and the dead, there's going to be fear. There's going to be, uh, people will be scared and they will seek to run away from this wisdom, from this knowledge, from who God is. He will humble everyone. This is a majestic splendor, is what it says, when he rises to terrify the earth. Verse 20, on that day, people will throw their worthless idols of silver and gold, their iPhones and their iPads and their MacBook Pros. They will throw them into the crevices and the cliffs. Everything that you earned, your Teslas and your big old pickup trucks and your everything you put hope in, you are going to toss away as nothing compared to this God. Do you know this God? If you know this God, then you will be humbled. If you don't, you think I am just trying to scare you. Because the reality is, if you know him, you will be drawn to him. If you don't know him, you will be, you will be afraid of him. And that's what we see here. They will throw, this is probably my favorite part of this passage, which they made to worship to the moles and the bats. They're going to toss them down little tiny pits because they're so embarrassed of these things they created. They will hide them and shove them down where the moles and the bats live. They will go into the caves of the rocks and the crevices in the cliffs away from the terror of the Lord and away from His majestic splendor when He rises to terrify the earth. But Isaiah gives us a little bit of an application here. He says, Put no more trust in a mere human who has only the breath in his nostrils. What is he really worth? That's the application. So, what are we putting our trust in is what we need to come from all this. When I first planned this, this sermon, I had a, a much more humanistic approach, a much more man-centered approach, because I was interested in knowing about these last days, right? Because that's fascinating to me. Um, however, I also think when we study the last days, the point is not so that we can create theories and charts and watch the world go by, but the point is to, for practical reasons. Every time we see the last days mentioned in Scripture, it is for a practical reason. It's not just so that we can know what's going to happen. In fact, if most of the Jews and the Israelites at this time, they had a different view of the future than we do. And for us as, as Americans and with a Greek um, understanding, humanistic backgrounds, we think of the future as looking forward and moving into the future. The Israelites would turn and walk backwards into the future, looking at the law and the, the prophets. And so they would look at what God did in Exodus, and they would back into the future. That's the way that they should be doing. So they will. So basically, if you're backing into something, the future is coming this way, and you are watching it unfold as it was prophesied. You're not looking for, for prophecies moving forward. You are experiencing them as they come. And so this is what is important to recognize about this, is it's to prepare us for the coming day of the Lord. Whether that be a millennial kingdom 
where Christ will reign in a physical sense, or whether it be that his, his kingdom is reigning now and we are spiritually in this kingdom spreading the gospel to the nations, we can debate those things because those are important things to discuss. But the reality is, what is this telling us now to do for today? And do we know God? Because if we know God, we need to be humble. And so the future, knowledge of the future that we see in this passage should do a couple things for us. First, it should reorder our priorities. Are you seeking after things that are worthless? Let's just be honest. The idols and the things that we seek after are worthless. Maybe you really want to know what happened this last election. Maybe you have spent all your time watching and listening to the news and reading um, internet surveys and trying to figure out what was the differences between the different voting booths and the electronics and the back doors and the, the cybernetics and all that stuff. Maybe you really want surety. Guess what? You probably won't get it. Maybe you really want a government that will coddle you and do everything possible for your own good. Guess what? They're not. They're going to do what's good for them. Maybe you're seeking after a loved one or a husband or a, or a wife that, that's going to fulfill all your love tank. They're just going to fill your love tank up. Guess what? They're probably going to drain it. And once it's drained, you're going to be exhausted. And what are you going to turn to? Are you going to turn to your false hope and say, well, I just I don't love them anymore. I'm going to go find me a new one. Because that's what we do. When our idols are exposed, we turn away from the living God and run and hide in our embarrassment. So many people will get drunk because their hopes have been dashed. So many people, when security is not given or gifted, they become extra fearful. How many people have seen that happen this last year or the last two years? I don't even know how many years we've been in this, but however many years it's been, that's where we are. But we see the fear, constant fear. In fact, I think the government kind of loves that we're afraid because now they'll just continue. In fact, I heard something that said the vaccination, if you get vaccinated, you're probably not going to die of anything else. It was a news article from CNN. They said people who get vaccinated will, will likely not, are, are not going to get sick of any other illnesses either or some weird thing like that. I'm like, That's, it's, it's terrible reporting. But that fear is leading people to seek hope where we're not guaranteed any hope. Yes, vaccinations are wonderful. I've gotten smallpox vaccinations. When I was growing up, I got all sorts of shots. In the army, I got all sorts of stuff. Anthrax, you name it. They filled my body full of junk. And I still get sick, but there's no guarantee in this life how long we're going to live. The question is, what are we putting our trust in? The scriptures, very often when we talk about faith, we need to understand that word in the sense of trust. Do we trust in God? And ultimately, do we trust in Christ? Because here in verse 22, it says, put no, no, no more trust in a mere human. That's a pretty interesting use of words. Why would he say mere human? Because we know that Christ is fully God and fully man. He is no mere human because he has more breath in his lungs. In fact, we, we know a lot about who Christ is. As we begin to wrap up, John 6, 37 is a very helpful passage. John 6, 37 says, if I can get to it, 
Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. In conclusion, we see that God has, is coming. He is here, and He humbles. The solution to this future humbling is to be humble now. It's to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, and at the right time He will exalt us. We know that we are to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or exploited. Rather, He humbled Himself by coming in the likeness of a human, um, and then at the right time, because of that, God raised him, he exalted him, and it says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do we want to be forced into submission, or do we want to do that willingly now and reap the benefits today, to have that, that joy? And, and I'm going to tell you, eternal life is not just for later, it's for now. When you come to Christ, eternal life begins. And we know that when we talk about eternal life, we're not just talking about eternal life, meaning that I'm going to live forever, because every soul in this room is going to exist forever. It's just where our location is going to be. And you can enjoy eternal life today. You can have joy today. But John 6.37 says that he will not cast out those who come to him. In this passage, we've seen two great movements. There's the first movement of everyone being drawn to, the God, to God's holy hill, to God's holy mountain. Everyone will be drawn, or the nations will be drawn to him. But it looks like, to me, that there are some who will not be drawn to him, doesn't it? It looks like there will be some that will be destroyed, some that will run and hide in the mountains. They will seek safety in their bunkers. They will go everywhere they can to get away from who God is. And so we have two directions. You can go towards God or you can run from God when you realize who this God is. Do you humble yourself right now before the mighty hand of God or do you run away? You may have these questions. This is from John Bunyan. I almost called him Paul Bunyan once and everybody made fun of me. John Bunyan said this, and he's kind of doing like a dialogue, and he says, but I am a great sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all of my days. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, say you. I will no, in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise Christ. Christ will never cast us out. Come to Him today. Stop running. Stop hiding. Stop filling your life with these idols that will be exposed and destroyed and come to Christ. If you do not know Jesus Christ, if you do not have a relationship with God, if you don't see God 
and you don't hit the ground and hit your knees like I did Saturday, you need to do that to know this God, the God who humbles, the humbling God, because only then will you truly live out what God has created you to be. Only when we are humble before the mighty God will we actually live the way that we need to live. If you haven't done that, if you are full of pride, come to God. Humble yourself before His mighty hand. If you don't know Him, we'd love to talk to you. Come talk to me as one of the elders or one of our elders here um, in the room. We'd love to talk to you more about what a relationship and experience with God really looks like. Uh, Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we are so humbled by Your Word. This picture of who God is is quite startling. Last week we saw how You redeemed us by justice. Through Jesus Christ, You offered us redemption. You offered us a hope that will not cast us away as we have seen today. God, as we look at this passage, we recognize who You are, that You are the Almighty that you are the Holy One of Israel, that you are the Lord of armies. You are the great Jehovah. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, as we recognize your power, we also recognize Christ, who you sent in order to take on the sins of us and exchange the sins that we so deserve and begin to cleanse us of our unrighteousness. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who has not humbled themselves before the mighty hand of God, that they would do that today. That they would have this image of God. And uh, Father, I also pray that you would expose the idols of our hearts. How often do we seek after the things of this world that are only a breath, a mere vapor, as our psalm said this morning. God, I, I pray that you would help me to experience you more like this. Father, what a beautiful vision of the great Jehovah. I am so drawn to this picture of God who is in control of all things. He, you only, not only created the beginning, you create the end. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace upon us and upon our church. Thank you for those you have brought here and kept us safe. Father, I pray that we will endure trials recognizing that you are the great Jehovah and recognizing who you are. Lord, help us to be a people who are humble. Father, I pray that when the community looks at Sierra Vista Baptist Church, they would see a church that is humble, people that are seeking after God uh, through humility, not through the pride of life and the vanity of things. God, we thank you. Lord, I also want to lift up our harvest party, a harvest festival coming up this weekend. I pray that you would allow us to be a witness to our community, that we would be a light to those who come, that we would show them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can come and not be cast out, that you provide welcoming arms to those that you have drawn, that we can come to you grateful for your mercy and your grace, and we can be more and more humbled by it. Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.